This is On the Line. From the capstone to the plains, in-depth coverage, opinions, and analysis of the most heated rivalry in all of sports, all things Alabama and Auburn are right here. Now, you're on the line with Noah Gardner and Jeremy Law. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. We've got a huge announcement for you. New year, new on the line. And that's right. We are going to a daily sports talk radio show. We are going on the air. Now, of course, you're joining us here on your Saturday morning on the radio on AU100, Kicks 96.3, and Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM here on your Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. or via the podcast online on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. But now we're moving to on the radio every single day. New year, new on the line. It'll be on ESPN 106.7 in Auburn and Opelika. And then going up the 280 corridor, it'll be on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM every day from 2 to 4 p.m. You'll be able to join the show, call in. That starts this Monday, January 4th. Once again, 2 to 4 p.m. every day, five days a week. But the Encore show, the Encore presentation, it's not going anywhere. Saturday, still, we're going to have on the line 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. We're still going to have it. We're going to be playing a best of throughout the week. It'll be the best of what happened during the week on On the Line, and you'll be able to catch that. And the name you heard earlier, Levi Fitzwater, joining me on the show from here out and I'm pumped to have him on with me, a good friend of mine, and uh, it's good to get it going. Levi, how you doing? Man, I'm doing great today. Again, just excited for this new year, new opportunity for both of us, and I mean, just ready to sit here and talk some sports. That's right, and let's get into it. We won't bore anybody with any announcements or any more of the logistical things. We'll get into it. Auburn football falls to Northwestern 35-19 in the VRBO Citrus Bowl, and a lot of people want to talk about it being potentially one of those games where Auburn didn't show up to play and of course that narrative gets old a lot of times when you're talking about bowl season and SEC teams losing to what people perceive as lesser competition but this definitely felt like a game where it it didn't seem like Auburn wanted to be there yeah I mean a lot of the whole narrative like you said of just not showing up we actually had a lot of players not show up physically that didn't play I mean Tank Bigsby not there Anthony Schwartz not there so I mean it's not just a mentality thing. We, I mean, the Auburn football team was missing a lot of its key players, and it showed. I mean, it could have been a bit of both, but it definitely showed on, you know, at the bowl. So, I was shocked at how well Auburn defended the run because what Northwestern does so well is run the football. I did not expect their quarterback to throw for 291 passing yards. I felt like effort at times was good. Effort at other times was poor. I'm not picking on anybody in particular right now. I thought the safeties had in one particular safety. I didn't think Smoke Monday had a great game. I felt like there were occasional good plays where he he stepped in and, and made some things happen from the top. But I think Auburn across the top did not do a good job of defending the pass just across the top. I felt like Northwestern was able to uncork Auburn several times across the top of the defense. And then the run defense was surprisingly was surprisingly was surprisingly good. It wasn't a concern for Auburn in the ball game. And the defense I felt like hung around for a while it was one of those classic cases of a defense that 
plays pretty well, keeps you in the ballgame. They only give up 14 points after the first half, and then it took the offense forever, and once the offense finally got going just a little bit with the touchdown to finally make it 14-13, to that's when the defense buckled and ran out of gas. And that feels like it's been the story all year long for Auburn. It felt like when it was 14-13, to Auburn had a possession in the third quarter where they had a chance to go down, take a lead. When they didn't, it felt like, and then I think Northwestern picked up a fourth down. When Northwestern got that first down, took it down, and scored again, it felt like the A&M game where Jacoby McLean had a ball go off of his hands. It still ended up being a touchdown. It felt like that was the last straw that broke the Camels' back. Put yourself in Brian Harson's shoes. What did you see if you're the new head coach while watching this ball game? And don't, don't keep uh, just you know don't leave the gloves on. Go after it. I mean, there's a lot of change that has to be made. I mean, I think you said it better than anybody all year long. You have to recruit the line better. I mean, that has been the story of this team this year. One of the many stories of this team. You saw it today. I mean, what what was it about one for eight on third down conversion? It was an abysmal third down conversion rate. And well, Bo Nix was scrambling for his life every time. And it's hard because people want to put the blame on him to stay in the pocket and develop as a passer. But it's hard when you have a linebacker in your face. I remember one play in particular where Sean Chivers just completely whiffs on a run pass block. Right. And Bo is immediately out of the pocket. I don't think Sean Shivers is who you want as your pass block. No, exa- back. I mean, again, nothing against him. Cause like <laughs> you said, that's not the guy you normally want back there for that, but it's cause he's small and can get blown up. Yes. And it tends to happen. And then he can even whiff and just not block at all. So yeah, again, there's a lot that needs to be addressed. I think just putting a new scheme in is going to help out a lot. I think recruiting the line better because it's Auburn. It is a name brand university that people know, people recognize. People are going to come there regardless of who the coach is. As long as you're not abysmal at the job, people are going to want to come and play for the SEC and for the brand. You just got to do a little bit better on the offensive end, put in a good scheme, get people to buy in. And honestly, it it's time for just a just refresh, a little bit of a facelift. I mean, the program has been stagnant. The offense that was so effective early on in the Gus Malzahn era is just it's not producing anymore. So something has to be done, and I think it starts up front with the line and just a new scheme to just kind of reinvigorate this program. If I told you Auburn had 300 passing yards, you would have thought they would have won, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, you – you tell me they have 300 pass yards any game, I'm excited. If they have more than about 200, I think I'm surprised and excited. They had 300 passing yards, but only averaged 2.3 yards per rush on 26 attempts for a grand total of 61 rushing yards amongst Auburn running backs. Now, Bo Nix, he led the team in rushing. 10 carries for 32 yards, still not one of his best rushing days considering he's going to get you chunk yardage. If he's not getting sacked, his his Rushing stat total will at least look like five or six yards a carry. Well, among the running backs, DJ Williams was the most effective with six carries for 16 yards on a grand total of 2.7 yards per carry. And the primary rusher today was Sean Shivers, nine carries, 15 yards for 1.7 yards per carry. And going to what you were talking about, if you were Brian Harson and what you noticed, and it's the offensive line, something has to be done because Northwestern took it to Auburn. A, a, a school known more for its academics, and I'm not knocking that football program because, look, Northwestern's football program has evolved, has has grown leaps and bounds under Pat Fitzgerald to the point now where you expect them to be a top half team in the Big Ten every single year. So it's kind of a cliche when people talk about, oh, well, it's just Northwestern. Well, Northwestern's 
a tough out for a lot of teams. And we saw how well they played against Ohio State in the Big Ten Championship game. I went into this game under the assumption that Tank Bixby was going to play, thinking that Auburn was every bit as talented as they were and could win the football game if they were going to be able to run the ball. But they couldn't run the ball because Northwestern took it to them in the trenches. And if you're looking at Auburn, and when Pat Fitzgerald is scheming for this ball game, and you know that Auburn's a one-dimensional football team this year, you know that if you take away the running game, then you're going to have a good chance to win the ball game. And that's exactly what happened. They took away the rushing attack and the passing game, albeit 300 yards of it, wasn't enough. No, and there wasn't even any turnovers on, on the passing side of it, which is bewildering to me. I mean, sometimes we've seen Bo Nix put up a weird stat line like that where it's like, oh, you didn't expect it. it was a quiet 291 or 292 is what he had. It was a quiet 292 passing yards. Sometimes you see him have a quiet, lofty yardage game but still throw some picks here and there. He didn't have any turnovers. He didn't really feel like he, he made any egregious errors throwing the football. It just never felt like there was any consistent passing game. And Auburn, it reflects with only 19 points. Obviously, it didn't translate to, to anything on the scoreboard. Yeah, I mean, it was he didn't do anything bad. I mean, he was a little banged up as well. So, again, even more surprising that he didn't have any more egregious mistakes considering the fact that he was not 100% throughout the, at least the second half of that game. But, yeah, when you can't run the football, especially with the offense that Auburn is running, where it is it's predicated around running the football, establishing the run, could never get it going. I mean, again, like you said, Northwestern is a top-notch Big Ten school at this point. Pat Fitzgerald has turned that program around. And, I mean, he's he's a guy who's going to scheme up a good defense. And they were coming with blitzes on third down. When you're in third and long and they know it's coming, they're blitzing every time and just couldn't do anything. So, I mean, it's impressive. It's good for the future to see that Bo Nix was throwing the ball decently well. Now, if we can just get a run game going with that next year, I mean, the sky's the limit for that if he can be developed under Harson. And I found myself criticizing Bo Nix several times in the ball game for not necessarily decision-making. I didn't feel like decision-making was really an issue for him throughout this season. I mean, you look at some of how he's performed in his losses, which, of course, pregame the announcers make to just the brilliant uh, the brilliant mm. perception and the brilliant statement that he's performed worse in his losses than he had than he has in his wins. Of course, that would be the case. Thank you, Captain Obvious. But when you look at it, it's egregiously bad against the teams that are ranked. And I think this is probably his best performance against a ranked opponent aside from last year's Iron Bowl. Those are probably his two best performances against a ranked opponent. But I still didn't. It was a quiet 292. I'm looking at the box score for one of the first times today. This isn't the first time, but you know, second or third time today that I've looked at the box score. And 292 never really jumped off the page. And then I see it, I'm like, oh my gosh, he had 292 yards? There's no way. Because the points just didn't, the, it didn't translate to points. It, it, he was still 25 for 42. So he was barely above 50% throwing the football. They threw the ball a lot. It just didn't feel like in the other part of it, it was seven yards per attempt. So that, that's the other side of it. It's not like he was carving up the Northwestern defense. He wasn't overly accurate, and it still felt like he was running for his life. He didn't have a bad game. So I go back to where I started this with. I found myself criticizing him throughout the game, but I think if you're Brian Harson, going back to where we started this segment with, if I'm in Brian Harson's shoes, I'm thinking, oh, this is a quarterback I can develop. This is a quarterback that I can work with, that I can mold. Sure, he's rough around the edges right now, but I can develop this guy. And 
Colin Coward's somebody that I listen to a lot. Don't agree with him all the time. And a lot of people I know, you either love or you hate Colin Coward. That's what it feels like people view him, at least based on his opinions and whatnot. And a lot of times, people, the people who disagree with him hate him. And the people that love his opinions agree with him. I really value the way that he looks at things and like the arguments that he makes and how he crafts arguments and things like that. And he's talked about quarterbacks in this light of you can't coach out of somebody recklessness that, you know, you look at people that you've grown up with your whole life and I'm not stealing this. This is Colin Coward's bed. He talks about quarterbacks all the times this way. When you look at people that you've grown up with around you, if they were reckless when they were teenagers or in college, they're probably still reckless to this day. And I'm granted some, there are exceptions, but most of the time people that are reckless and innately reckless stay reckless their whole life. That's not something that just gets out of their system. It's there. Quarterbacks are the same way. And you can see it at all levels of football. If they're reckless in college, Sam Darnold's a great example. Reckless in college through a ton of interceptions at the collegiate level. He's reckless in the NFL right now. He doesn't throw as many interceptions as he was when he was in college, which is a little bit of a step forward. But he's reckless in other ways. Takes off and scrambles. Takes too many hits probably for a quarterback of his stature. So when I look at Bo Nix, what scares me, he's reckless. I think there's been many times where we've seen him try and do just a little bit too much with the football, throws into coverage. He throws off of his back foot for no reason. Whenever, the, Even when the pocket's not collapsing, he throws off his back foot. Mechanics-wise, I'm curious if he can coach it out of him. If he can, Bo Nix has all the tools to be, and I will say this, and this some people may look at me crazy and think this is hyperbole, his running ability is Johnny Manziel-esque. This year, he's shown that. The ability to escape the pocket. I mean, the Texas A&M run comes to mind when he scored. That's a Johnny Manziel-like play. He's got Houdini skills in the pocket. It's the passing ability that's not quite there yet. And if this Auburn offense is going to take steps forward, it's to your point, the offensive line is going to have to take steps forward. But also, I think the quarterback play is going to have to stable out a little bit. Or Auburn might be taking a trip to the transfer portal this this upcoming year looking for a new quarterback. And I wonder if that's going to be something that Auburn looks to do. I'm not trying to stoke the fire a little bit on a quarterback competition because right now there wouldn't be one. But, you know, this is a year where you might be able to go and cherry pick any position you want or at least have a shot to go and bring in any position you want want because there's gonna be a plentiful amount of players out there looking for a fifth year of college football yeah I mean with the extra eligibility and whatnot I mean you have all these quarterbacks who will probably look for a fifth year and I mean it it doesn't hurt to bring in some competition even if you're not trying like you said you're not trying to kick Bo Nix out but bring a little competition put a little fire under him let him get going he's been relatively comfortable the entire time he's there yes Joey Gatewood was there and it pushed him in that beginning of the career but once he got that job, there really wasn't any looking back, at least in terms of what the Auburn coaching staff showed us. Fans might have a different point of view, but... Grant Loy ain't starting, guys. No. That ain't happening. You don't want that to happen. <laughs> oh, no. That is not something <laughs> anybody wants to happen. And again, Bo Nix, there was a few things today. He can work on the deep, his deep accuracy down the field. I feel like every game I see at least four or five or a receiver is running stride for stride, has a bit of separation, and it's just tops off into the back of the end zone when the receiver's on the five-yard line. And I feel like that happens a lot. Granted, that is a more difficult throw to make. I mean, there are professional quarterbacks who struggle with that throw. So, I mean, it's just, it's going to be interesting. Maybe look for Brian Harson to look for a guy who's a little bit underrated in the Mountain West that's looking to transfer. You know, if he doesn't find a big fish somewhere else, a guy that he's super familiar with that maybe the SEC guys and the Big Ten guys and all these other big conferences might be 
you know, just overlooking a little bit. He might bring in someone out there and just kind of say, hey, I've seen this kid ball. I think he can play in the SEC and maybe kind of, you know, pull the rug out from under him and surprise some people a little bit with that. Hear me out. Hometown hero, Jake Bentley. <laughs> I'm joking. I don't want that because I don't think he's that good. But um, I think that I think that would be interesting to see if he possibly transferred on for some depth or something like that. I mean, it's possible. He really didn't get to play at Utah this year. Maybe they met Utah had a lot of games canceled this year, multiple games. And the Pac-12 was already playing like a six-game schedule. So he really didn't get to play in that many ball games. And I doubt his NFL prospects are that high. And he was a guy who had who looked to have a lot of talent at South Carolina dealt with some injuries and now you know maybe coming back to push Bo Nix maybe not a bad idea but one thing and and look Bo Nix I feel like right now if I had to put my money on it will be this will be a starter next year at Auburn at quarterback I think the pro style tendencies the west coast tendencies in the Boise State passing attack will come this way quarterbacks play the game differently on the western side of the Mississippi it's a different style of football out there and oftentimes it doesn't translate great when they play an SEC team because you're not going to out athleticize you're not going to out physical SEC teams with the players that those squads put on the field especially with how the spread has permeated even into the southeast and, and in the last 10 years and whatnot because you know it used to be Alabama you know running the pro style and you're not going to out physical Alabama right well over time, the athleticism rose in the conference, and Alabama was forced to meet that as well. And guess what? Now they run a spread offense, and they're torching people all over the place with receivers. The game has changed a little bit. But I think for Auburn's passing attack, it's going to be good for Bo Nix to learn some of those West Coast-style tendencies because what do Auburn fans crave the most? Let's just be real. Auburn fans want to see Auburn have a short, quick, intermediate passing game in the middle of the field in between the hashes and every once in a while they want to see him hit a tight end and I feel like Auburn targeted a ton of tight ends in the bowl game just an abnormal amount of times did they target a tight end like I felt like they targeted a tight end more than Seth Williams was targeted in the ball game and it felt like Seth Williams was a focal point which was kind of refreshing because it felt like they were at least playing the the entire field with a receiving core but when I look at this Auburn offense I think it will be good for Bo Nix to have a passing attack that's going to bring some structure to it and Brian Harson has a history as a quarterbacks coach so he knows how to develop quarterbacks Brett Ripien's one of those guys I think he worked with Kellen Moore as well like he's got a history with good quarterbacks at Boise State he's going to bring that experience and I think what you see from you know if you're Brian Harson, if you're if we're putting ourselves in issues I think what you took away from that game is wow I've got some work to do with the offensive line but I got a quarterback who could spin the ball a little bit if I give him direction it never really felt like Bo Nix had any direction in his first two years at Auburn. One thing before we wrap up this segment, a negative that I took away, I felt like Auburn had a pretty soft performance today. And I felt like Auburn was kind of soft at times throughout the year. I felt like when games got away with them, they had the propensity to not take it four quarters, despite the motto this year. And some people may vehemently disagree with me on it, but that's not the heart of my message here. This was a ball game where your new head coach was there and he was watching you for the first time. This was your first time in front of your new head coach. This is like a new boss coming in to your business. And that's going to be the first thing that you put on your new boss's desk? That's that's going to be it when, when there's potential for guys below you to take their spot? Because look at what Elijah Kenya did. Guy shows up, makes a stud play, and I wonder where this guy's been at. Where's this guy been? And then he shows up and he has a he, he absolutely mosses someone to the end zone. Julio Jones is somebody. 
puts a stiff arm in his face. I mean, it was he played out of his mind. I mean, he was more of a presence in the game than Seth Williams was. He led the he led the team in receiving with three receptions for 80 yards and a touchdown. Of course, Seth Williams had five catches for 72 yards. But I'm just wondering where the where the guys were that were staples throughout the year. I didn't feel like anybody showed up to protect their job. Yeah, I mean, not at all. I mean, what you said has a lot of validity to it. I mean, outside of the guys who did not play today, the guys who did, I mean, even Seth Williams had a ho-hum day where he was just kind of out there. I mean, he made a few good catches. One catch was a touchdown that wasn't didn't quite get his feet in, but it's still an athletic ability. So, yeah, I mean, you have your new boss in there looking at you, watching you, and you go out there and perform like that. And it kind of goes back to this thought that I have had all year that this Auburn football team has been one of the most frustrating teams to watch. This year was more frustrating than 2012 for me. Yes, and it's in 2012 you expected it. Like you about four games in, you kind of knew yeah, what yeah, that I team was. So. You packed it in after the Arkansas game. You knew that team was bad. Yeah. This team is talented top to bottom in so many positions. It just kind of feels like there was a lack of motivation for most of the year or just like a they didn't quite catch it at some point. There was just a disconnect between them and playing at some points. And there are times where they show up LSU and they look like the best team granted LSU's defense will do that to you but there's just times where they showed up great and times where they're just meh I don't want to play today like today they didn't feel like they wanted to play didn't feel like they cared didn't send a good message to Brian Harson at all that I think a lot of guys might uh might have a little job security issues after today for the way they performed. Or they might transfer. And I think the one word that you that I would describe the 2020 Auburn football season, not just for the players, but for the fans, apathy. Just a lot of times it felt like, just in general, people didn't care. Auburn fans yeah. gave up. I mean, you listen to talk radio the week after the Iron Bowl leading into the Mississippi State game. You listen to talk radio, it's people are tired and people are ready for change. And... Whether or not you liked Gus Malzahn or not, people were ready for change. They were ready to risk it all. You knew what Gus Malzahn's floor was. It was 7-8 wins every year. but And we knew his ceiling was get to an SEC championship. But was anything going to happen with consistency? And oftentimes we were at the floor. Auburn was not at the ceiling, right? People were ready to risk it all. They, were, they knew full well that the floor could be much lower than what Gus Malzahn was getting them, but they were ready to risk it all for the hope of something better. That is how far this program had gone, or how how stale it was. It was moldy. It was more than stale. It was moldy. It was ready to go, and I'm glad Auburn at least decided, hey, let's risk it all, and it was a bumpy ride, but I think they've got a coach now that that will evaluate the situation, and I think he's going to bring a hard-nosed mentality, and that's the other thing. They didn't play soft for a Gus Malzahn-like figure today. They played soft for a coach who's going to get after you and, and generally just he's a hard-nosed guy. And some things that have maybe have slid this past little bit, these last two years, they're not going to slide this, this upcoming year. And I'm sure everybody has different things coming to mind right now, what they think has slid this these past two years. And, and everybody's had different things. That's, like I said, it's coming to mind that – isn't going to happen anymore, I don't feel like, with this new head coach. Now, I'm not saying that Auburn's going to go to SEC championships, and I'm not saying that the Brian Harson era is going to work out based on that statement. I'm just saying the attitude, I think, is going to change a little bit. You might be dealing with Auburn with attitude, AWA, 
as opposed to a little bit of a, a softer team, which I felt like Auburn was kind of soft this year. On the other side of this break, we're going to talk about Auburn basketball. They're gearing up for a clash with Texas A&M today at 2.30. That's coming up on the other side of this break here on On the Line. You're listening to On the Line with Noah Gardner and Jeremy Law. We'll be right back. This is On the Line. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. Gardner and Fitz, do you like that? We might need to come up with some new nickname for this tag team duo. I think I could deal with that. I like Gardner, Gardner and Fitz. And Gardner and Fitz sounds pretty good. I can deal with that. Gardner and Fitzwater sounds like a law firm. I've had people tell me that. I was on uh, I was on WANI in Auburn. Um, on Auburn Opelika this morning, a couple of weeks ago, prom- promoting our show. And uh, I made the statement, uh, they asked me who was going to be on the show with me. And I, and I said, Levi Fitzwater and um, Zach and uh, Zach. And then we're joking on, joking on me. They were saying that that sounds like a law firm. Gardner and Fitzwater sounds like a law firm. So I, I, Hey, you know, it's, it's good. I mean, if this doesn't pan out, I mean, we can, <laughs> I might have to go back to school. We, we, can, go back to school. That, yeah. we can go back to school, work on that, get the bar going. I mean, we could do worse. Uh, we could do worse. That's right. Something that could do worse, I feel like, this year when we were talking about this team going into the season, Auburn basketball, they are doing a – I think they have exceeded expectations going into this college basketball season. And nine games through it right now are the Tigers 6-3. and three. They're taking on the Texas A&M Aggies today in College Station at 2.30 on SEC Network. And before we really get into the nuts and bolts of that upcoming matchup for Auburn, both of these teams 0-1 looking for their first conference victory. Felt like Auburn played really well against Arkansas earlier in the week. What was that, Tuesday, Wednesday? It was Wednesday night against Arkansas. I don't feel like the score really told the story in that one. I felt like Auburn, you know, they were hanging in it. They were only down by five with two minutes left. Of course, Arkansas wins by 12, pulled away a little bit at the end. I felt like Auburn played better than Arkansas for the majority of the game, and I felt like they showed that they were more talented than Arkansas, but the difference there were two key issues. Turnovers, Auburn had more, definitely a lot more, and I don't have the exact numbers in front of me. I'll pull those up and get you more detailed numbers. Um, And then free throw shooting was the difference. Arkansas, uber experienced, one of the oldest teams in this country, and definitely one of the oldest teams in the SEC, versus Auburn's youth and experience of having three-fourths, maybe four-fifths of their roster are junior, or not juniors, are freshmen and sophomores. And so the difference in that ball game is one team didn't make many mistakes or any mistakes at all throughout the ball game, while Auburn was making many mistakes throughout the ball game. But I still feel like their talent and their ability to shoot the basketball kept them in it. But the difference is Arkansas didn't make any mistakes, and that can make up for a, a gap in talent. We've seen it time and time again. Yeah, I mean, 18 to 9 for that turnover ratio for you. So, I mean, doubling how the amount of turnovers that Arkansas have, which that'll that'll lose you a game every single time. I mean, if you're turning over twice what the other team is. so. And then free throw shooting, Auburn was 14 of 24, and Arkansas was 24 of 31. So not only did Arkansas get to the charity stripe more, they also shot 20% more from the stripe or 20% better from the stripe. And, of course, if Auburn had made 10 more free throws and was perfect, they still wouldn't have won this ball game. But if you, you know, make six more free throws, maybe you're 20 of 24, and you maybe turn the ball over four or five times less, and the turnover margin's a little bit closer, you probably win this ball game. Yeah, and it's crazy to think about when you're talking about, you know, two very good collegiate basketball programs at this point. 
and it coming down to something as simple as making your free throws, getting to the free throw line for one, and not turning the ball over. So, I mean, there's a lot to like about this Auburn team. I mean, they've, like you said, they played above what you'd expected them to play this year. They're missing arguably their best player, which we haven't seen yet. So, I mean, there's a lot to like about them. I mean, there's there's just a good bit to like, especially with this matchup going in, where me and you were talking about it during the break, how a relatively slow team, not super offensive in A&M, where, you know, Auburn might can come out if they can play a little bit better turnover-wise, make a couple more free throws. I don't see why they shouldn't be able to come in there and win this game, like me and you were talking about over the break. And possibly by double digits. I think Auburn could be that much better than Texas A&M this year. Before we get into that matchup here, divide the SEC into three tiers here. Obviously, there's probably more tiers when you're talking about conference basketball and you've got 14 teams in this conference. We'll make it simpler, though. We'll say three teams. We've got the top tier teams here. We'll say a top four teams, you know, those teams that will get the first round by when it comes to the SEC tournament. We will then do the next four teams, the next best in line. Some of those teams at the top of that group might be a little bit closer to getting inside the top four. Some of the teams at the at the bottom of that group may be a little bit closer to our bottom six in the SEC or bottom five in the SEC or whatever it may be. So where does Auburn slide in? Are they in that top percentage of teams? Obviously, we would probably agree. Probably not. Are they in the above average tier? Or are they in the bottom tier? I think they're kind of in the middle. I think they're around that average. Very, they're. I think they're closer to the above average team than they are to the below average team. I think they're just right around that sweet spot. Just off the top of my head, I could be, I you know, just kind so of so in the six to seven range. Yeah, I could be just guesstimating wrong after like you know maybe I'm leaving something out, but that's where I feel like they kind of lean off in my head right now. When you look at it, LSU and Arkansas. See, I'm I'm curious about LSU a little bit. I don't feel like they've really gone toe-to-toe with a major power yet this year that just jumps off the page. See, Auburn has beaten Memphis, and Memphis has the talent. I feel like Penny Hardaway's done a good job of bringing talent in. I don't know if he's necessarily a great Hexes and O's guy, considering he's had a ton of talent and hasn't just ran away with it in the American or hasn't put his stamp on the American. I mean, you look at Houston. Houston doesn't have as much talent, but is a top 15 team in the country under Sampson. So... You look at Penny Hardaway, he's done a great job of bringing the talent in, but I don't know if he's necessarily done the X's and O's and maybe the development. And it looks like Memphis is trying to mirror a little bit of what Kentucky's doing a little bit with a one-and-done machine. They haven't quite gotten there yet, but they have brought in some great players. You look at Auburn, went against Memphis, played great basketball against them, pulled out a tough victory on the road in Atlanta, or maybe not on the road, but in a neutral side environment outside of Auburn Arena where we've seen Auburn struggle at times in neutral site and in road games. This Auburn basketball team has really risen to the challenge. LSU, I look at them, and the best team they've played so far appears to be Texas A&M, and while they did handle them and beat them pretty well, we just don't know enough about the SEC yet because it's an odd year. A lot of games have been canceled, and scheduling came out to be a little bit different. Teams like Arkansas took the route of playing bad teams. Arkansas, had others aside from Auburn, had played eight bad teams, almost said seven, eight bad teams, and they beat them all by double-digit points and by a lot. Auburn took the route of playing a difficult non-conference schedule and they came out of it with a good record and a five-game winning streak going into the SEC schedule and they looked prepared. This young team looked prepared for Arkansas and they took some punches early on in that basketball game, got into it, and hung around with the Razorbacks all game long. I'd say Arkansas is in my top tier. Tennessee's for sure in my top tier. They're the best team in this conference by far. After that, it's hard to figure it out. We saw Missouri get thumped by Tennessee 
73 to 53. I was trying to pull that score up. I remember it was definitely by a handy margin, but I wanted to get the exact score there. So 73 to 53, Tennessee beat Missouri. And then Arkansas looks to be one of the top teams in this league. So I would, I would, I would say those two teams for sure. Florida's somebody we don't know a whole lot about yet. They've only played five games this year, and they really haven't played any stringent competition. The one great team that they played was against Florida State. They lost by 12. But on the flip side, we've seen Florida State lose to UCF this year, a team that Auburn lost to earlier on and only lost two by two or three points, uh, you know, a possession or so. So it's hard to evaluate the rest of this conference. Alabama, when they've won, they've looked good. They beat Ole Miss by 18 in their opener. When they've lost, they've looked atrocious. So it's hard to evaluate the SEC right now. Missouri, like I was saying about them having lost by 20 to Tennessee, but they also beat ranked Oregon, 83 to 75, and they beat Illinois, a top 10 team by three. So like this conference, very difficult to evaluate right now. I would probably say my top four, Tennessee, Arkansas, Missouri, and Florida or Alabama are in that top four for me right now. Auburn, I would say, is in that above average category in the middle, I would say they're in this. I would say they're somewhere around six right now, fifth or sixth in this league. I'd say they're sixth or seventh with the potential to creep up into that fifth place spot and really push some of those teams in that top four. And I say that because when I evaluate this Auburn basketball team, I see how young they are. And a lot of guys come into the game, come into college basketball already with some type of offensive game. When I look at these guys in college and I, I take offense out of it first. If if, I, if if what jumps off the page to me for a young guy is their defense first and how well this young team is communicating, the sky is the limit for this squad when you look at them down the line when they develop because the offense is going to improve, but the defense is going to improve as well. And when you start out good defensively, you've got the potential to be great defensively before you leave college because your chemistry is going to grow. You're going to be more familiar with your teammates. Communication is going to improve. And right now, and maybe the way that coronavirus has affected arenas where there's not as many fans at sites anymore that's definitely helped communication but I've been super impressed with this Auburn defense albeit they did give up you know 97 the other night but I've been super impressed with this Auburn basketball defense for how young they are the offense is there I I think the offense is there on this team when they get Sharif Cooper in because I think it's looking more promising over time once Sharif Cooper joins them and then some of the five stars next year they come in, I really believe this team has the potential to be a top 15 team in college basketball next year. And if you're a top 15 team in college basketball, you got a shot to win it all. Yeah, because you're going to get a really good seed where you have an easier path. And also going off of the tiers, which I know it kind of sounds hard to say, don't sleep on Kentucky. They have it, they've not been a good team. They've been a really bad team, but you know the coach, you know the talent that is there. And a lot of those games they've played have been against good competition. They've lost a couple close ones. I mean, yeah, they lost to Richmond, but Richmond's traditionally a better mid-major basketball Brutal school. schedule. Oh, yeah. I mean, Kansas. You, you get, what, Georgia Tech, if I'm not North mistaken. North Carolina, Louisville, Louisville, Notre Dame, Georgia Tech, Kansas, Richmond, and Moorhead State. All Moorhead of those, State's all, the lone win. Yeah, all of those, <laughs> I was going to say, all of those outside of one are incredibly tough games and they hey, Richmond's no slouch no. Auburn was familiar with Richmond last yeah. year and we knew them to be a pretty good team last season yeah they're a traditional mid-major tournament team that comes in and is always a threat to win a game or typically around that 5-12 dreaded matchup in the tournament that seems to happen all the time so I wouldn't sleep quite on Kentucky right now they're not you know they're the they're in the lower tier don't sleep on them they got the talent they got the coach and again I like you were talking about Auburn has all the promise in the world. If they can really put put it together and just 
improve defense. Limit the mistakes. They're going to be fine. Yeah, grow up a little bit. And not in a mean way. Just grow up, limit the mistakes, and this could be a potentially really good team down the stretch and especially looking forward to next year. And, and, and there's already been an indication that they're growing up because they've already improved from that loss to UCF and getting blown out by Gonzaga. The team has improved since those first three games to where they are right now. They could have folded it up after UCF. And I know that kind of seems weird to say considering that was only game three, but it's game three of a odd year because of the nature of collegiate athletics with the coronavirus around us. But also they could have packed it up because they knew they weren't going to the NCAA tournament this year. And I've been impressed with this team's mental fortitude with how they've handled the current situation and where the program's at to go to work every day with a lunch pail mentality and to get better. And they have gotten better. And so to your point saying they'll grow up, they will grow up and they'll get a lot better and they probably will be a dangerous team. The big thing for Auburn is they don't need to take this year for granted. I'm not going to sweat, and Auburn fans shouldn't sweat the losses. They're going to happen, and I don't want to see the team take the losses hard. I want to see the team take the losses for what they are, a learning opportunity. I want them to see them as, all right, look, we lost today. Let's don't get upset about it. Let's don't let it affect us for the next game because sometimes you see losses beat a team twice. Sometimes losses can get a team out of momentum. Whatever, you lost, whatever. The loss doesn't mean anything this year. It doesn't affect your... The, the win-loss column means nothing for you this year. You're not even allowed to play in the SEC tournament. It means absolutely nothing. What matters is what you do with the losses. Are you improving on the individual facets of your game? And when you do lose and when things aren't looking, go back, watch the film, evaluate the game, and use this year to improve. Because this year is a scrimmage season for Auburn. And they can take it to the next level next year. And with some of these five stars coming in, watch out. Yeah, Absolutely you, watch out. Jamari Smith, I mean, you, you look at it, it's going to be a dangerous group next year. Yeah, I mean, use it as a practice year. Like you said, just an extended scrimmage. And, I mean, you look at their losses, you get thumped by Gonzaga. Who ha- Iowa got thumped. Iowa, yeah, Iowa, exactly. Iowa was one of the clear top best teams in this country, and they got rocked by Gonzaga. Okay, you can scrap that one. UCF goes down, not only beats you, beats Florida State too. A really good team. They so, beat Florida State by more than they beat Auburn. Yeah, so I mean, you have losses where you can just look at it and go, you know what? That's not that bad. I mean, they could have easily just stopped because a lot of, you have a lot of Auburn fans who were making the comment, I see now why we put the postseason ban this year after the first game, after the Gonzaga game. It doesn't really look like that to me at this point. I might have thought that towards the beginning, kind of like how LSU did that with football this year, where they, you know, were three and what, four when they decided, yeah, we're not going to play in a bowl game this year. And it kind of felt that way for Auburn, but not at this current moment. This team wants to win. They want to play. They might not go to the postseason this year because of the ban, but they clearly have not given up, which is super promising and it shows the kind of kids and athletes that are coming in you're not just getting guys with that quitter mentality you're getting guys who want to play who want to win which is going to be so so good next year and throughout this season especially next year when you said you have all these five-star recruits coming in Auburn, Texas A&M today, 6-3 Tigers against 5-2 Aggies at 2.30 on SEC Network a bit of a clash of styles of course me and you were talking about this during the break of a lot of times people view Auburn's team as up-tempo. And if you go to Kim Palm's rankings on KimPalm.com and you go and look at the tempo, Auburn's in the 200s in the country as far as tempo. So Auburn's kind of a slower, middle-of-the-pack team as far as possessions are concerned throughout a game. So Auburn's not just turning the tempo up or anything, all right? 
Texas A&M is one of the slowest teams out there. They're in the 300s when it, in terms of rankings and possessions. They're keeping the possessions in that 60 range per 100. A&M, a defensive team here, it helps their points against when they play that slow. They're giving up 63 points per game. But offensively, it's also hurting them, 69.1 points per game. So there's the sweet spot for Auburn. I feel like if Auburn hits 70, I think they win this game. Or maybe 72, 73, they win this game. Because Auburn's defense, I feel like it's given up 72 a game because maybe they've played some good offensive teams like Arkansas. That skews the number a little bit. And then the Gonzaga game skews it a little bit. Outside of that, I felt like Auburn's defense has been great this year when they've played teams as good as them or maybe even a little bit worse. And AM, I think offensively and the way that they slowed the game down, I think it fits into Auburn's skill set and it slows the game down for them a little bit. It helps keep this thing defensively for Auburn under wraps. Yeah, I mean, like you said, they could potentially run away with this game if they play the way that you kind of look at it on paper in a sense. It's it's probably going to be a slower game. It's probably not going to be what you expect from Auburn. Like you said, it kind of skews a little bit when a lot of people think of Auburn as this track star team when really they're just prone. They, they're balanced. They were, they're balanced. They're prone to go on runs and look flashy. And one of their biggest stretch of runs where they had this up-tempo was a few years ago when they go to the Final Four and the entire country's eyes are on them. So the impression they have is, oh, this is a really fast, up-tempo team, when really it's just a kind of smoke and mirror with that. It's a more balanced attack, and I think, I agree with you, I think if they can hit around 70-72, they should come out and win this game. And we'll see how that happens later on today, but it, I think they're, I think they can go in there and win this game if they just crank up the defense, play a good half-court game with offense. I think they should be fine. A&M shot the ball 38% from the floor against LSU in that ball game. And I, I, A&M's first real, you know, SEC-like competition obviously was their first SEC game against LSU, but they didn't really play a whole lot of that in non-con play. They really did not expose themselves like Auburn did. Auburn's prepared for a game like this because they've seen teams like Texas A&M already like this. UCF plays basketball a lot like A&M plays basketball. They slow the game down. They bog it down. And guess what? That was the ugliest game this year I felt like that Auburn played. And Auburn's going to have to perform better than shooting, you know, only putting up 55 points in that ball game. Auburn's going to have to score the ball here. But when you look at the percentages and how these teams shoot it, they're very comparable field goal percentage. Both teams are shooting 45% from the floor. Auburn's got the edge in the rebound margin. Auburn's getting 39 boards a game. I've been really impressed with Auburn's rebounding. You know why Auburn's rebounding is better? Because they finally have a six foot six guard. I mean, Auburn's had consistently some of the shortest guards in the SEC. And now they finally got a guy like Justin Powell who could go up and get rebounds. Assist per game, Auburn's got the edge there. Some of these numbers skewed a little bit because of possessions, because AM's slowing the game down a little bit. But Auburn's defense, every bit as good, I think, as AM's defense. And it comes down to it. You talked about runs. Auburn's a team that can go on a run on you. AM, by way that by virtue of how they play, they don't go on runs. They just are steady Eddie and go throughout the ball game and just slow the game down are methodical work through their possessions and they try and grind you out on defense it's the complete other side of the game for Auburn Auburn's going to take their opportunities when they come and when they start forcing some turnovers if they can force a into some turnovers they'll get on a run they'll score seven ten points in a hurry maybe knock down some threes in the mix and then by that point 
10 points is a huge lead in this game. When you talk about how AM plays basketball, that's a six of the points they score in a ball game. That's hard for them to overcome, you know, 10-point runs. And so for me, if Auburn can't get on a run, that's not going to look good. It's going to be a close game to the very end. If Auburn can get on one run of maybe double-digit points, so if Auburn can hit like a 10-0 run in the ball game and maybe get up by double digits, I feel like Auburn can cruise it. Maybe not cruise, but cruise was not definitely not the right word there because nothing about Auburn athletics ever cruises in anything. But Auburn can Auburn can feel very good about where they're at in that point if they can go on a, on a double-digit run. Yeah, I mean, like you said, I mean, if they can just get that run and really push the tempo from that, it's like my high school basketball coach used to say, when I was a freshman, we had a team that we played, he called it chess. We played snails pace. We had six guys in rotation for a basketball game. We wanted to make every possession as slow as possible. It, when someone goes on a run or you get down by even like seven or eight points when you're playing a slow, more defensive style, that's a lot. It's a that, backbreaker. It's hard. Over it, It's like when you're watching the old Georgia Techs or Army or Air Force in a football game and you're, they go down by two touchdowns. Like, that's a lot when you're right. when you're running a primarily triple option attack all run. So, again, these two teams on paper are pretty even. Vegas seems to think so with a, what, a two-point underdog to Auburn, one-point underdog. It'll probably float around close to that one, one-and-a-half mark, I think, around the tip-off. So, it should be a good game. Obviously, I think that well, I agree with you, and I think that Auburn can really pull away with this game. But again, if they don't really get that high offense with the runs going, it'll probably be a lot closer towards the end, and we'll see a really close, grinded out, gutty game. So I'm interested to see what happens in this one for sure. And it comes down to style of play. Is Auburn going to get to do what they want to do? And that's what we said. It's a class of styles here. Is Auburn going to get to do what they want to do? Because Auburn wants to score it. How Auburn gets to those points, it, it it varies from game to game, right? I'm not going to sit out here and say that Auburn generates the most possessions in the country because that's simply not true. Auburn is, just look at the stats. Auburn's in the 200s when it comes to being ranked as far as possessions per game. Auburn is not up there compared to the other teams in the country that absolutely run up and down the floor. A&M for sure is one of the slowest teams in the country. But you're talking about high school. When you guys want to grind it out and play it slow and then someone gets up seven points, it's a backbreaker. The reason for that is because it gets you out of your comfort zone of how you're wanting to play. That's obviously not your team's strength of scoring the basketball if you're not trying to score the basketball. You mentioned triple option teams. We watched Army and West Virginia and the Liberty Bowl. West Virginia scores late, right? There's two minutes left. Army's got to put a drive together. They've got the football. Guess what that means? That means triple option team has to throw the football. That's a danger zone. Like Teams like Army are not built to play from behind. They're built to play with a lead and to grind you out from the get-go. And so that is what Auburn's going to need to do in this one. Auburn's going to need to get a lead because A&M is not built to play from behind. Auburn is kind of built to play from behind because Auburn can shoot some threes and can equalize that way. A&M, on the other hand, not built to, and, and vice versa though, Auburn's not really meant to play with a lead. I mean, how many times have we seen an Auburn basketball team shoot themselves out of a lead before, right? And so that's the other thing that you have to look at with this Auburn team. And I, don't, I hope I didn't contradict myself there, but Auburn wants to obviously get out, get a lead, put AM in a situation where they're not comfortable having to come from behind because their style of play does not benefit them having to create more possessions in a basketball game. 
On the flip side, though, I want to see this young team hold on to a lead and not shoot themselves out of it like we've seen some experienced Auburn teams do, like last year and like two years ago. Even the Final Four team had some struggles with that. So on the other side of this break, we've got game predictions here coming up on On the Line. You're listening to On the Line with Noah Gardner and Jeremy Law. We'll be right back. You're on the line. Now, Noah Gardner and Jeremy Law. Wrapping up on the line here, Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater here with you on your Saturday morning at 10 a.m. on AU100, Kicks 96.3, and Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM. College football game predictions for you. It's our last predictions of the season until we pick the national championship game next Saturday. Well, save college basketball picks for this upcoming week here on On the Line. So let's chop it up right here. We got four games. Levi, here we go. Tax Slayer Gator Bowl number 23 NC State versus Kentucky 11 a.m. on ESPN. That's a tough one for me. I mean, they're pretty even teams, so I'm probably just going to roll with my gut here, and I think I'm going to just stick with the favorite. I think Kentucky can gut this one out. Two and a half point favorites. Yeah, I think they can tough this one out. I think they can figure it out, get it going. I think NC State's a little bit of an overrated team this year. I think they've played well, but I think Kentucky has probably a little bit more to prove. I think they might be a little bit more hungrier. This one has nothing to do with stats and matchups. I just think that Kentucky might want this one a little bit more. This one has felt like, and you mentioned ranked teams this year and how they're a little overrated. It's funny to me because NC State has kind of felt like, it it felt like the AP poll was just like looking for teams to rank every week. Like there just wasn't enough good teams to rank in college football this year and why was that because we started this year with only you know three major conferences playing college football and so NC State was one of those teams I think that benefited from it of course they've got an eight and three record and eight and three is typically good enough to get you ranked in college football I when I was making my bowl predictions I picked NC State to win this game and the main reason for it I can't trust a team that throws the ball as poorly as Kentucky does it's not as much for me about what NC State does well because their defense is abysmal, giving up nearly 30 points a ball game. But I have a hard time trusting a team that all they can do well is run the ball. That's like trusting Auburn to go and win against Northwestern. I made a wrong pick there, so I'm not going to make the same mistake here with NC State and Kentucky. But Kentucky still well, is probably the better coach team between these two. There's a reason why that line's two and a half to Kentucky there. They've also won a few bowl games in recent memory the last couple of years. They won last year against Virginia Tech, I think it was, last season. And then a couple of years ago, they beat Penn State as well. So, I mean, this this team has, has definitely been through it recently. Outback Bowl, Ole Miss versus number 11, Indiana, 11.30 a.m., ABC. I'm not sure. I think Indiana probably comes out and wins this game is my gut feeling, but I think I'm going to go on a limb here. I'm going to take Ole Miss. You look at the spread, they're catching nine on the spread, and about 35% of people are on that line, which is telling me that that line is looking good. When Vegas is ha- When Vegas has 35%, that's what they want. That's what they want. They want that lower, you know, portion to win because they're still a thing. I mean, they're not dumb. They do this every year. So when I see a line like that where you have an unranked team, a bottom half of their conference team, or roughly bottom half of their conference team, going up against a top tier in this Big Ten, I think it's going to be a good game. I think Lane Kiffin comes out. I think Matt Corral is going to show out, throw the ball over the yard. You got. Indiana, who's still on their backup quarterback, if I'm not mistaken. They are. It's Tuttle. 
Yeah. So they go from Penix Jr. to, to Tuttle. Tuttle. Perfect. So, I, yeah, I think Ole Miss comes out. I, I'm going to take the upset here, and I'm just going to say Ole Miss wins. You beat me to the punch. I love it. I made this pick last week on On the Line, and I'm going to take Ole Miss to win this one as well. I mean, 4-5 and five SEC team this year doesn't look great, especially when we're playing a 6-1 and one Big Ten team, and the Big Ten's been super impressive to me as well. The, the biggest concern for me, if Penix was playing, I'm taking Indiana, and it's not hard because I believe firmly that with Penix playing, Indiana cuts through Ole Miss's defense like a knife through warm butter. I got that. I got, I got that saying right. Or is it a warm knife through butter? I don't know. Something's warm cutting through butter. Okay? Something is cutting through butter. Right. And you are completely right. I, I agree with you. I think Penix Jr. would absolutely torch this defense. In Indiana, obviously, the difference in this game when it comes to that, if both of these teams were playing fully healthy, Indiana's defense only giving up 20 points a ball game, whereas Ole Miss is just letting people score for free. And so that would have been the difference. Instead, I think Indiana gets in their own way at multiple points throughout this ballgame offensively enough to help out Ole Miss's defense to get the just few stops they need in this game. Because I don't think Indiana's defense is stopping Ole Miss either, right? Because nobody's been able to stop Ole Miss's def- or offense this year. So I like Ole Miss to win this one just barely because I think their offense is going to have an easier time making things happen fully healthy, whereas Indiana's is not and I think they could just get in their way but then again Tuttle played pretty well in their last game of the year had two touchdown passes in it I'm trying to remember who that was against looking at Indiana's last game they beat Wisconsin 14 to 6 and Tuttle was responsible for the 14 but once again it was 14 to 6 and Wisconsin's defense hasn't been anything to write home about either just I mean Wake Forest was able to put up a hefty helping in the Mayo Bowl all in route to that you know trophy breaking but so I'm glad we agree on that one. That's a that it is a sexy pick to take Ole Miss in that one. PlayStation Fiesta Bowl, 25 Oregon versus 10 Iowa State, 3 p.m. ESPN. I'm gonna regret saying this, but I think Iowa State runs away with this one. I, I think that this is just, an Iowa State friendly podcast. We've known this for weeks. I just I'm not convinced on Oregon. You have some bad losses with Cal and Oregon State on your resume. I mean, it's you haven't played a lot of games. I see what I like out of Iowa State. A lot of people were bashing that they were so high in the rankings after losing to Louisiana. Louisiana, the Raging Cajuns are still a good team. Don't get that passed. Oklahoma is a great team, and they held them to twenty. If you can hold Oklahoma to twenty-seven points, defense is usually look at what Florida happened. What happened yeah, to Florida? I mean, that's, if you can hold this offense to twenty-seven, it doesn't matter the year. I mean, Oklahoma is always going to be top-tier offense, regardless of the numbers or the stats. I just think that Brock Purdy is going to come out. I think he's going to play incredibly well. I think he's going to show out, you know, let himself, you know, just kind of go out with a good a good performance at the end of the season. I'm expecting a pretty hefty offensive game, I think, from at least from Iowa State. If they don't blow Oregon out, I will, you know, hedge my bet a little bit. I think it's going to be a shootout. I think you're going to see a lot of offense regardless. My opinion, I think it's just going to be on one side. When you look at these two teams offensively and you break it down, to the stat, just to the point, to the T, very similar. Yards passing per game, 249.5 for Oregon, 249.1 for Iowa State. The rushing numbers have a 12-point difference there. Iowa State averaging 12 more rushing yards per game thanks to Brees Hall, which is a phenomenal running back named Brees for a running back is an excellent name. I don't know why. It kind of kind of sounds like wind. It kind of sounds like you know he's blowing people away. I don't I don't know. That that's what it feels like. The big difference here though that you've touched on a little bit here is the defense and why you think Brock Purdy's going to pull away in this one. That's the reason why I think he's going to pull away cuz Oregon's given up yards 
out the yin-yang, 409.5 yards allowed, giving up 27.3 points allowed per game. Oregon has given up the points to, I feel like, inferior competition than what Iowa State has had to work through this year. Now, Iowa State's not just jumping off the page offensively, I think, a lot of times, but I also think Iowa State, I think they're a better coach team. I, I when, they were, when we were going through the coaching search situation with Auburn, I said, why is Matt Campbell not being contacted? Why Crystal Ball? Matt Campbell reminds me a lot of Luke Fickle, whereas Crystal Ball, sometimes I feel like his floor is a little bit lower than what you'd like him to be as a coach. I think he has the potential to get outcoached. He's just a great recruiter. Campbell, maybe not a great recruiter, great developer, and he's great in the span of a game and getting the most out of his guys in X's and O's, and that's what makes the difference in these bowl games because it's one time that you're playing. The talent, a lot of times, are comparable. Now it's about who can separate with the X's and O's and making things happen. Iowa State, this is like their Super Bowl. This is the Fiesta Bowl. Iowa State doesn't make Fiesta Bowls. This is big for them. And so I'm, I'm excited for it. Iowa State five-point favorites. I think they probably covered that too. I don't know if it's a blowout like you said, but I do think it's probably a touchdown or maybe 10-point ball game. Our last one here, Capital One Orange Bowl, 7 p.m. ESPN. Maybe not the, my favorite matchup of bowl season, but the Orange Bowl is consistently my favorite bowl game every year. I love the way it looks out in Miami. The field, the Orange Bowl and the Rose Bowl consistently have the prettiest, the most beautiful and majestic field designs every year. The grass doesn't get greener than what is played in Hard Rock and then in the Rose Bowl. Very sad that it was played in Jerry's World for the Rose Bowl this year because it just didn't look the same. The grass doesn't get much greener unless you play at Northwestern's football stadium, which is also, that's the kind of field that I would just want to run barefoot through. That is just a beautiful field luscious green grass but this one capital one orange ball five texas a&m against 13 north carolina and there's been some opt-outs in this game that have thrown my pick into question but i'll still stick with it you go ahead yeah i mean you also have to think about the trophy you forgot to mention the trophy you have the oranges big bowl. you have the big bowl of oranges my I favorite mean, fruit what's not to love about that so i mean this one's iffy i think mm, it's i wish we had a lemon bowl a limit with just nothing lemon but bowl. lemons. I'm talking about Gatorade flavors here. I was about to say that orange is my favorite Gatorade flavor, and then I remember I really like lemon my, lime. Lemon lime is also and my then favorite. orange. So like, can we get a lemon bowl and a gator and then an orange bowl? I mean, I'd be I'd be all for it. And why doesn't Gatorade have a bowl? I You'd mean, think they would sponsor a bowl game. You think it would be the Gatorade Orange Bowl? They literally sponsor. They're 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 at every game. They're on every sideline of every game. You think they would have a good bowl though? To I don't know. That makes sense. If they're if they're at literally every single ball game. I mean, why I mean, Powerade's out true. there too. Also, but why like, do you need a bowl at that point? That that's fair. And also, were you as fooled as I was by the Duke's Mayo container that they had? It was like it looked like a Gatorade cooler on the sideline, and I thought it was filled with mayonnaise. And it was. I figured that was not filled with mayonnaise. I wanted to see a mayonnaise bath. That's that that's would be the most disgusting ex- thing that I would have ever seen. <laughs> but anyway, I I'm gonna go ahead and just say that I think North Carolina pulls this upset in this game. I've been unimpressed with AM a lot this year. I think they're a really good football team. I don't I think they're a great football team. But I think North Carolina's gonna be hungry. I think they come out and win this game. I mean, I AM's given me nothing to be surprised, like outside of beating. They're not Florida, capable of beating anybody handily. Yeah, right? and I don't think, and I think when you keep a team like North Carolina in it with that coach and that talent that they have on that team, I think 
as long as they're hanging around, which you said they're not really equipped to beat people handily like that. And their best wins, what, Florida, who we just saw get absolutely smashed by Oklahoma, get 50-something points hung on them in the SC Championship. Again, Alabama's offense is elite and historic at this point. But again, I just I don't see any great wins for AM that really jump off the page. They have good, decent wins. I mean, they're 8-1. That's a good football team. I just think that North Carolina is going to come out just ready to make a statement. I think AM, I picked North Carolina last week, and then all these opt-outs happened. So I'm opting out of picking North Carolina this week, and I am switching over to AM. I know going into this segment, I said I was going to keep it, but I'm, I've flipped over these last minute or so thinking about it just because AM in the trenches, they're going to outman North Carolina here. And North Carolina's playing without their best defender and Surratt. They're playing without one of their be- without one of their best receivers. They're playing without their rushers. I mean, they're 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 playing without their best skill position players and it is going to fall on Sam Howell's shoulders. And while Sam Howell was an absolute star his freshman year, I felt underwhelmed at times with his sophomore season. A little bit of a sophomore slump. I think the sky is still I think the you know the, the sky is the ceiling for this guy moving forward into his junior and senior years in North Carolina. But going into this bowl game, I think A and M is better than North Carolina at all the positions it matters, meaning the offense and the defensive line, and that is going to make up the difference as far as what we thought or what we perceived were at the skill positions. Where now I think A and M maybe even has a slight edge. Kellen Mond's not making any mistakes. He may not jump off the page because he'll he'll throw for 192 in a ball game and two touchdowns, have no picks, be super efficient, not really incomplete a lot of passes, and AM will only win like 28 to, to 17, and it won't feel like they blew the team out, but they controlled the game from start to finish. Auburn was in that ball game against AM, but AM controlled that game from start to finish. And how did they do it? They did it with their offensive line and their running game. AM is going to control this game from start to finish. It may not be a blowout. If anybody's going to do the blowing out, it'll be North Carolina. North Carolina is the only team in this game that is capable of blowing somebody out. But I think I'm leaning more towards A&M controlling the game from start to finish than North Carolina breaking away. If North Carolina starters were playing, blowout. Blowout. But I think this A&M team comes into it wanting to to make a statement too because they were left out of the playoff. And we'll show everybody, hey, maybe we deserved it more than what Notre Dame deserved. But Notre Dame put up a decent fight against Alabama. But that does it for another edition of On the Line. New year, new look on the line. We'll be with you on Monday. Don't forget, new show, ESPN 106.7 in Auburn, if you're in the Auburn Opelika listening area, or on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM along that 280 corridor all the way up to southern Birmingham. You'll be able to hear us all around, so stick with us. Remember, 2 to 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, and then we'll be back with you also with that encore presentation on Saturdays still at 10 a.m. Thank you for joining us. As for Levi Fitzwater and myself, Noel Gardner, you know where to find us. Don't go anywhere. God bless, everybody. Thanks for listening to On the Line, a product of Radio Alabama Sports. To follow the show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, find Radio Alabama Sports. For more episodes and show notes, visit RadioAlabamaSports.net.